So at the movies, we're at the movies today, and um, some have asked, why, why do we do a series like at the movies? Just come to church, watch, I don't come to church to watch a movie, why are we doing this kind of series? And here's the deal, stories are powerful. And I've said this every week, stories draw us in, stories teach us things that we can't learn anywhere else. And stories told by our culture shape culture. Did you know that? The movies that we're watching in the theaters and in our homes are shaping the ways that we understand the world at large. They're shaping the ways we understand God, and they're shaping the ways we understand who we are in this world as well. And so we like to take, uh, once a year, we like to take some movies and look at them through the lens of Scripture and who God may be calling us to be. And um, I, I, the, the movies that we've, we've had this year, I've, I've loved. Uh, today, though, is, is probably my favorite. And it's a powerful movie. Part of it is the context in, in which I grew up. Uh, but part of it, too, is it, it confronts us with some of the most important questions we have as humans. And I think it, it pushes us to understand what it means to follow Jesus in the world in which we live today, in the here and now uh, that you and I face every single day. And what I want to do is I have two primary texts uh, from Scripture that I want to look at, and they're teachings of Jesus, so directly from Jesus. And I want to read these texts and point out a couple different things, and then, and then I want to move into the, the clip that we have today, and then we'll wrap up together with reading the text again. Are you with me? Are you good? So let's start with Jesus today. Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, just some, some parameters, uh, some pictures of what Jesus is doing in this section of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it is one of Jesus' most famous teachings. And in it, Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what it means to follow him in the kingdom it's, it's almost like a moral vision for Christians. Like, how are we to live if we are to walk with God? That's, that's a little bit about what Matthew's pulling together. And so he's challenging some of their old thinking, uh, some of their Jewish teachings, and he's trying to give them a new vision, uh, a way that, 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 that we and they could live marked by love. And so this is in Matthew chapter 7, so we're getting close to the end of his teaching, and he says this, uh, well, before I, if we could have one passage of scripture and, and nothing else, if we were on a, on a desert, stranded island where, where no one else was around and, and, and we needed to know, like, what's the framework, the, the primary thing that Jesus wants us to know, I think this would be the passage, Matthew 5 through 7, this, this one piece. And so if you don't know wh what else to read in the Bible, if you find yourself saying, I want to read the Bible, I don't know what to read, start in Matthew chapter 5. Just read Matthew 5 through 7 again and again and again. Let it sink in. So here's what he says. Do not judge others. Some of you like that part, don't you? <laughs> and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? 
And I think Jesus had to have been smiling or chuckling about this. I mean, do you see the picture that he's painting? Like, how can you try to find the speck of dust in your friend's eye when you have a log sticking out of your own? And he's saying, it's ridiculous. And then he says, hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll, you'll see well enough to, to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And then you fast forward just a few verses in this second text. He says this, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and prophets. Now, would you agree with me if we could take this one little passage and simply live it out as Christians? I mean, there's millions of Christians gathered today in the world. If we could just take this one passage and actually start to live this out, don't you think it would make a difference in our world? A world that is so divided, a world in which we love to point out the faults in others or the faults that we think others have while ignoring our own. Don't you think that if we could just begin to live a teaching of Jesus like this, that the world would be a much better place? So judge, let's talk about judgment real quick, because sometimes we have uh, different ideas about what that means. Um, when Jesus in this, this passage is talking about judgment, um, I think what he's, what he's getting at is, is judgment when it, when it leads to condemnation or conclusions about other people. When he says, do not judge, I, I believe he's leading to this idea that you should not make a conclusion about someone else. You should not condemn someone else simply based on their actions. Does that make sense? That's tough to do because we love to judge what other people do. And Jesus is saying, just, just don't do that. N.T. Wright is a, is a scholar. Um, He's someone I, I read a little bit to try to understand a little bit more about Scripture. And he says this, Jesus doesn't mean that we shouldn't have high standards of behavior, right, for us or the world around us, but that the temptation to look down on each other for moral failures is itself a temptation to play God. Now, think about that just for a second. That what Jesus is getting after here is that when we judge other people, when we make a, a, a conclusion, when we come to a conclusion or we condemn other people based on their moral failures or the ways that they're living, we're actually putting ourselves in a position to be God. Does that make sense? He said that's, that's the issue. And so he, he continues on. Uh, the next, the next uh, slide. And since we aren't God, that means it's a temptation to play a part, to act, to be a hypocrite, which literally means play actor. So a hypocrite in the Greek world was an actor, someone who put on a mask and lived a or, or acted out a certain part. And so what N.T. Wright is pointing to is that when we judge other people, when we condemn other people, when we point our fingers, when we look down at them, we're actually putting on a mask acting as though we have no issues within our own lives, that their issues are much bigger than our own. Are you with me still? So he says, uh, the people who are, who are most likely to judge, the, the people that, that, he's, that he's talking to here, the people most likely to judge are the ones that actually need to look in the mirror first, to spend more time in, in self-reflection than in judgment of other people. Now, this concept of judgment, 
um, I, I want to take a little step with it because there's a word that I think um, we all have heard in the last number of years, um, prejudice. Have you heard, ever heard the word prejudice? The word, <laughs> the word prejudice literally means to prejudge. So it's not just about judging, it's about actually prejudging based on color of skin, ethnicity, gender, place of residence. I mean, we could continue down the line further and further, but prejudice is actually pre-judgment. It's not even judgment based on relationship or up-close knowledge. It's judgment before you even really come in contact. Are you with me? Yeah. So prejudice, do you think Jesus would say, don't live with prejudice? Yes, Jesus would probably say that. And so the movie that I want to, to lean into today uh, is a movie called Green Book. How many of you have seen Green Book? Yeah, so a number of you have seen Green Book. Um, Green Book uh, was a film that came out. It was a screenplay written by the son of one of uh, the, the, the pieces, the, the actors that uh, was portraying a, a person from the 1960s. It was the son of that actual person. Uh, it's, a, it's a true story. It's, it's based on a true story. Now, I will say this. Anytime you hear that a movie is, is based on a true story, it means there's a lot of creative license that takes place. And I'm no doubt there, was, there is some, some uh, stretching and some pieces to, to Green Book, but don't let that uh, cause us to miss the, the message behind the movie. So this movie is about primarily two gentlemen, Dr. Donald Shirley, uh, who was uh, of Jamaican descent, living in the United States, born in Florida. He was a world-renowned musician who was paid uh, a lot of money to play the piano, and in many ways, uh, brilliant. And also with uh, Dr. Donald Shirley was uh, Tony Lip. Tony Lip was not a world-renowned piano player. <laughs> he was a bouncer at the Copacabana, <laughs> New York City. And uh, Dr. Donald Shirley w had decided to go on a, a tour, uh, a piano tour of the Midwest and the Deep South, and he knew to do that that he would need a, a bouncer bodyguard and driver uh, to, to be with him. And so he or his record label hired uh, Tony Lip to drive him around. Now, what's interesting is that both of these men lived with prejudice in their own right. Uh, early in the movie, we see uh, Tony Lip. He comes home, and there's a couple African-Americans who are working in his home, and his wife had gotten them a, a glass of water, so they had drank some water, and as they left the apartment, you see Tony Lip walk over, pick up the two glasses that they had used, and throw them in the trash can. Just blatant racism. But he tried to wait till they left to do this. Um, this. This journey with Dr. Donald Shirley would change his life and his heart. Now, many ask where the name, the Green Book, came from. Uh, the name Green Book comes from a publication 
Uh, this is a copy of, of uh, the Green Book uh, from 1940. And the Green Book was a publication uh, by Victor Green put together to help African Americans who were traveling around the country know where they could stay in safe places. Now, the fact that this was needed gives us just a little insight to the hatred that was a part of our history. And I flipped through and looked up Arizona because I thought, surely Arizona wouldn't be in this. Phoenix, Arizona, hotels, the Raymond on 607 East Jefferson Street, the St. Louis on 535 East Jefferson Street, Rice's 535 East Jefferson Street, St. Louis Hotel without uh, an address, tourist homes, garages, restaurants, service stations, beauty parlors, barber shops, so that they could travel safely around the United States. Now just let that sink in. I think sometimes, especially those who, who uh, haven't had to be a part of this, uh, I think I think we miss the reality that so many have to live with. So to set up the scene and this movie, it's a long clip. Uh, there's a little, a couple uh, little snippets of language that we wouldn't normally use uh, in worship, uh, but we wanted to leave it just because of the, the power of what's going on and the importance of letting the weight uh, sit with us today. Um, Dr. Donald Shirley and Tony Lipp have been arrested because they were out after dark in a sundown town. Have you ever heard of a sundown town? I grew up in the south. I grew up in Birmingham. I had never heard what a sundown town was until I was much older. A sundown town was a town where African Americans were not welcome after dark. And if they were caught in public, they were either arrested or killed. In town. I mean, just let that sit with you. There were actually towns that were known as sundown towns all throughout our country, not just the South, but in the South. Um, and so they had been arrested. Uh, they had to call Robert Kennedy, who was the attorney general at the time, um, to get out of jail. Then following that scene, you'll see a little scene about something that takes place in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, the town I grew up in. And uh, what's so interesting about that scene is when it takes place. So just try to let the dynamic, the tension sit in your mind about that. And then uh, Tony Lip has, has promised his wife he'll be home on Christmas. And so they're trying to get home for Christmas uh, because he's promised her that he would, he would be there. And there's so much more in the movie that I wish I could tell you, but if I do, we won't be able to see the clip. And so we just need to see they've been arrested and they've gotten out of jail and that's where we find them. Um. I just wonder what it would be like to enter in relationships with other people. And before we judge them, we would get to know them. We would hear them. We would listen more than we speak. We would do what Jesus uh, calls us to do. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. 
For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eyes when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? You hypocrite. First, get rid of the log. And then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. What's interesting about this, this teaching from Jesus is he doesn't say we aren't to deal with the specks in our friend's eyes. Does he? No, he doesn't say ignore. He says deal with your own first. And then in relationship, only in relationship, he calls him a friend. Then you can deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And until we enter into that relationship, we will never be in a position to help with the specks of dust. Uh, a couple quick truths, and then we'll be, we'll be done this morning. I think it sta- stands for itself. Uh, first one is this. That in learning to love, which is what the Bible calls us to do, we need each other. We need people who are different than us, each one of us. And it's so easy to gravitate only towards the people who are just like us, who believe like us, who look like us, who vote like us. But we need each other. People who are different, who look different, who act different, who speak different who vote different on that journey towards loving others. And then um, I, I, I began to think, like, what does that take for us? And I think it takes a, a number of things, but three things for sure I think it takes is patience. And you all know that I do not like that word, that patience Learning to love others the way Jesus calls us to love them, it takes patience. Slowing down, entering into relationships. Not prejudging, but listening. It it takes uh, humility. Realizing that we all have a mess, and before I ever talk about your mess, I need to deal with my own mess first. I need to look in the mirror before I ever spend time trying to pick out dusts in your eye. And we all need grace, don't we? I mean, don't we all need grace for the messes we make? I mean, we all need grace. And when we receive grace, it should be even easier for us to extend grace to those around us. As we do every week, we just want to give you some space to think and reflect. And um, the band's going to come and uh, they're going to lead us in one last song Uh, And it's called Build My Life. And the concept is that um, we want our lives built around the love of God. We want that to be the foundation. So we're asking God to build our life based on his love. And maybe you want to slip back to one of these stations where there's candles and light a candle. Light represents God's presence. And maybe for you, um, you feel a little disconnected from God or maybe... Uh, For you, you have a difficult relationship, or maybe you, uh, as we've watched this little clip from a film, maybe 
in you, the Spirit has pointed out um, some prejudice that you've been holding on to or harboring in your life. And so maybe you want to light a candle and just say, God, I need, I need your grace in me as I try to live your love out towards others. Uh, there's communion in the back of the room as well. And maybe today you want to take communion to be reminded of the grace of God known through the sacrifice of Jesus. And uh, you want to take a piece of bread and be reminded of his body that was broken, a cup of juice, be reminded of his blood which was spilled for you and for me. So we want to give you space to take communion this morning. Uh, There'll be some prayer partners over to my right, your left. If you want someone just to pray for you, just feel free to slip back there. If you want to just sit and pray and think and reflect, if you want to stand and sing, we just want to give you space uh, to respond to God this morning. So let's begin by standing together, and I'm going to say a prayer, and then just feel the freedom to move around the room. God, you are good, and um, the teachings of Jesus are so very important to us because they give us direction and insight. And God, they stir up things in our hearts and our minds uh, to help us see who we truly are and the ways that we're living. And the truth is all of us have the tendency towards prejudice, to prejudge other people. God, I pray that you would do a work to, to root that out of us. And begin this morning in this room, uh, but. God, carry it on. In, in this world of division and hatred, vitriol, God, I pray that you would teach us to love, to have some patience. I pray that you would teach us to be humble. And I pray that as we receive grace from you, we would extend it to others. God, work on our hearts this morning, we pray.